everyone. Today I wanted to share with you a segment of the online course that I created, Foundations in Anatomy and Body Science for Yoga Teachers. Now this is a 10-hour online course and it's the first segment that I do in the 30-hour segment that goes into our 200-hour yoga teacher training. And I wanted to take this information and put it online because I feel like a lot of people struggle with the anatomy portion in their yoga training and it can be helpful to go back and watch it over and over and really absorb the terminology and get comfortable with all the information because that's how we start to build on that foundation and create a really solid understanding of our body and how it interacts with this practice of yoga. So I hope you find this segment to be helpful and I'll put a link in the description below if you want to check out the full course. As we move on with the language of anatomy, now we're going to talk about the terms that give us information about the location of things in the body and how one thing relates to the other, so the relationship between things in terms of their position. There is kind of the main overview of all of these different terms, how things are positioned in relationship to each other. And what you'll see is that these terms come in pairs and they mean opposite things. So the anterior portion of the body is the front and the posterior portion of the body is the back. Two opposite terms that work together, like two sides of a coin. You have the superior aspect of the body, the top, and the inferior aspect of the body, the lower part. So those two terms are paired together. Cephal means the head. I always think of, if you've ever heard of the condition encephalitis, it's a condition of the brain. So head, cephal, and then caudal means tail. And we're humans, we don't have a tail. A lot of times you hear that used with um, animals, like toward the tail end of a dog, toward the caudal end. So cephal and caudal are two opposite terms. You won't hear them a ton, but it's good to know just in case they pop up. Dorsal and ventral. So dorsal is a way of saying the back or the harder surface of the body. And then ventral is like the soft, squishy underbelly of something. And a lot of times, again, you will hear this term with animals, which is what helps me to remember it. So if you picture a dolphin, the dorsal fin of a dolphin is on their back and the ventral part of the dolphin would be their belly. So it's the two opposite parts. And that always helps me with like the dorsal surface of the foot. If my foot had a fin, it would be on the top of the foot. If my hand had a fin, it would grow right out the top of my hand, which would be really weird. But that kind of helps you to picture the dorsal surface of the hand, the foot, the dorsal surface of the body, and then the ventral surface. So then we have this term that you will hear a lot of when we talk about muscles, and that is proximal and distal. So proximal means closer to the center of the body, and distal means farther away from the center of the body. And this is specifically used when we're talking about muscles, one end of the muscle and the other end of the muscle. So there's a proximal end and a distal end. And there's also um, 
a lot of use with this in limbs when you're talking about an arm or a leg and bones. So the proximal end of a bone and the distal end of a bone is very important because they might have two completely different shapes and belong to two different joints. Well, they definitely belong to two different joints, but they might do two very different things. So if we're talking about location, that's how we get that really specific language. If somebody has a fracture of the humerus, the long upper arm bone, and it's a proximal humerus fracture, I know it's closer to the center of the body. If it's a distal humerus fracture, I know it's like closer to the elbow, so farther away from the center of the body. That way we can be very specific about locations of things and the relationships of things. So then we have this term for the hand, the palm or surface, which is what you would exactly think of as the palm. And then the foot has the equivalent, the plantar surface is the soft, squishy underside of your foot, and it's the part that you plant onto the ground. So that's how I remember plantar surface. The oh, medial and lateral, we can't forget that one. So medial is the middle, the center of the body, and then lateral is out toward the sides, medial and lateral. And we'll usually use that in relationship to like the medial aspect of the thigh or the lateral aspect of the thigh. Where is the pain? Where is, where did you kick your nightstand and get a bruise? So here's some pictures that I really like of yoga poses with these terms applied, the proximal end of the leg and the distal end of the leg. And then one set of terms that I didn't go over on the last one was superficial and deep. And this is also a term that will come up multiple times when we're talking about muscles because muscles are layered. There's layers upon layers of muscles that sit one on top of the other in the body. So if we're talking about the most superficial muscle, like if I touch my shoulder here, the deltoid is the superficial muscle. That's the one that I would be able to poke at first. If I went underneath those, that's when I would start to get to the rotator cuff muscles and things like that underneath the other superficial layers of the muscle, but I would have to go down. So understanding that there are some muscles that are easier for us to reach, and then some muscles that, like if you got a deep tissue massage, you're going down to the deep layers. Here are the formal definitions of things. And for me, sometimes the definitions make these a little bit more confusing. I like to look at the pictures and kind of wrap my head around it that way. But if you are somebody who likes definitions, here they are. So the anterior front, posterior back. Medial is middle, lateral is the side. Uh, superior is up and inferior is down. Proximal is closer to the center of the body. Distal is farther away from the center of the body. Superficial is the outer layer and then deep is the inner layer. Ventral is my soft squishy belly and dorsal is the firm back, like if I had a dorsal fin of a dolphin. And then you have that palmar surface of your hand and the plantar surface of your foot. So let's look at examples because that helps to make it a little bit more memorable. In a prone position, you are going to have the ventral surface of your body against the floor, like this locust pose. 
So here in camel, we are exposing the ventral surface of the body and or the anterior surface of the body, either way. And there's a picture of a shark, so you can see that dorsal fin. You can also see this is his caudal fin, the very back tail end. So you won't see that a ton with people, but just know caudal means tail, like the very end of our spine. If we had a tail, that's where it would be. But these are poses that when the ventral surface is like the kind of vulnerable area of our body where a lot of internal organs are. So when we do these really deep back bends, we're exposing all of our internal organs out to the world. And for some people, that's kind of an uncomfortable or anxiety provoking feeling for good reason. You're exposing all your vital organs to everybody. So just think about that with um, taking students into certain poses. If they feel uncomfortable, that might be why. Cephal and caudal, the head and the tail. When we're in, in headstand, the head becomes a weight-bearing surface, the cephal end of the body. When we're sitting on our butt, the caudal end of the body is the weight-bearing structure. Medial and lateral. So the, the spine is located in the medial part of the body. It's the middle, it's the axis. And then the ribs are located laterally. They come out around the sides to protect the organs in the center of the body. The IT band, which is something that we'll talk about later, is on the outside of the thigh, right here. And sometimes you might strain, people will say like, oh, I pulled my groin, um, which would be like an adductor muscle on the inside of the leg. So that would be on the medial aspect of the thigh as opposed to the lateral aspect of the thigh. So two paired opposite terms, okay? Superior and inferior. We can also use this to describe a movement. So this is the example that I gave. When I elevate my shoulders like that, I am making a superior movement. And then when I lower them down, I am moving my shoulder blades inferiorly. So superiorly, inferiorly. And then sometimes we would say elevation and depression. So some of these terms can be used interchangeably depending on what sort of situation you are in, which one you feel like would be the most appropriate. I can move my arms superiorly and inferiorly, but my head is located superior to my pelvis. It's above my pelvis. And we're always using that in terms of anatomical position. So my head is superior to my pelvis. If I'm in an inversion, that can all get switched around. Okay, proximal and distal. This one's really important. I feel like they're a little bit harder to remember than some of the other terms that seem like they're more connected, but proximal, close to the center of the body, distal, kind of sounds, sounds far away, distal farther toward the end of the limb. So the distal part of the arm has the hand and the wrist, and the proximal part of the leg has the hip and the femur. Superficial and deep.
So if you have somebody who has a really low percentage of body fat, you might be able to see the outline of the muscles, like this lady's back right here. You can see her superficial back muscles really well. The deeper muscles you're not going to be able to see because there's layers on top of them. So that really gives you a good visual of that layering system. And then we have the palmar surface and the plantar surface. And when you're in downward facing dog, you have both of those making contact with the mat. Palmar surfaces, plantar surfaces become your weight bearing surfaces against the mat. And this leaves the dorsal aspect of your hand and the dorsal aspect of your feet, right? If we drew a little shark fin on the hands and the feet, that's the dorsal surface of the hand and the foot. So those are all the opposite paired terms that I like people to know that will definitely come up again later. So if you need to watch this a couple times to refresh, go for it, because make sure you understand those before we go into the other stuff or it's just going to feel like too many words flying at you. So then I'm just going to go through a few of the body regions. You can take a look at this um, diagram really well made with color codes to show the different regions of the body. So we have the cranial region, which has your brain in it, your cranium. The nuchal area, which is a weird word for the back of the neck. And there's a nuchal ligament. There's like this very important ligament at the back of the neck. And that's how I remember that. It's just a weird word, but I would also take cervical region. I feel like that's pretty close to uh, the pectoral region the sternal region, like your sternum, the abdominal region is the belly, the abdomen, except for the umbilical area right around your belly button, your umbilical cord. The inguinal area right at the groin on either side. So think if somebody you know has ever had an inguinal hernia, that would be the location on either side there. We already talked about Palmer. So now you know the palmar region or the palmar surface, the pubic area right above the pubic bone. So you're going to see this a lot. The surface area is named for the bone that it's covering. And here we go down to the patella and it's right over the kneecap. So the patella is the kneecap. That's your body region there. We already talked about the dorsum of the foot or the dorsal surface of the foot where you could put that shark fin on there. Tarsal. So that's the, the little ankle bones or your tarsal bones. So that's if you wrapped your hands right around your ankle, that area, the curl region, curl, kind of challenging to say, but that's your calf area. And I think calf curl, they both start with a C that helps to kind of glue those together the femoral area. So femur, it's the big long bone in your thigh. The femoral area is above your femur, the carpal area. So this is just like if you wrapped around the ankle, those are your tarsals. These are your carpals, your wrist bones. So that's the carpal area. The sacral area is right above the sacral bone. The gluteal area is over your gluteal muscles, your butt muscles. Lumbar area, so lumbar starts with an L, that's your lower back. 
thoracic is your upper back, but right down the middle you have that strip, which is the vertebral area. And if you feel somebody's back, you can feel the bumps of the spinous process from each of the vertebra that are poking out the back. It's little pokey parts at the back of the spine. The scapular region is right over the top of the scapula on the back, so that's right over the top of the shoulder blade bone. All right, so two weird ones. The popliteal fossa is the back of your knee. Popliteal. And I remember this because my knees pop a lot. I have crackly knees. When I go to squat, they pop. So that's popliteal fossa. It's the back of the knee, though. And then the elbow pit, as I like to call it, is the cubital area. And there's a condition that you can get called cubital tunnel, which is an issue with the nerve that goes through the elbow area, and that's how I remember that. But if you don't know anyone who's ever had cubital tunnel, that's kind of a tricky one. But cubital, elbow, popliteal is the knee. All right, so the brachial area is the upper part of the arm. And I remember that because um, this is like the big, strong part of the arm. If you had really big muscles, you would use that to break stuff. Uh, the lower part of the arm is the anti-brachial area. And this is like smaller and delicate, not as strong and muscular. So you don't want to use that to break things. So it's brachial, anti-brachial. Hopefully that helps you remember as well. So then I will throw in a couple video resources in this section so that you can go back and review because I think a lot of times you just need to practice and hear the terms over and over until you just kind of soak them in through osmosis. But the more you practice using them and the more that you hear them, the more comfortable you get with them. And that really helps when we're going into some of the later sections of the uh, coursework here. So next we're going to talk about the planes of movement and then we start to get into some of the interesting stuff of what our joints are able to do.